you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett, and I never think about the Roman Empire. I'm Tommy Vitor. On today's pod, Trump gets hit from the right, Republicans inch closer to a government shutdown, Congresswoman Alyssa Slotkin joins to talk about the politics of the UAW strike in a race for Senate, Mitt Romney says goodbye to the Senate and good riddance to the Republican Party, and local theater enthusiast Lauren Boebert apologizes for the <laughs> lewd behavior that got her kicked out of Beetlejuice. <laughs> what a sentence. What a sentence. But first, Jack Smith is now asking Judge Chukin to impose a gag order on Donald Trump to protect witnesses from his attacks. But that unsurprisingly hasn't stopped the Republican frontrunner from saying all kinds of crazy shit over the last few days, including during his first network television interview since his attempted coup. <laughs> what a milestone. What a milestone. In Trump's Meet the Press sit down with new host Kristen Welker, he talked about banning abortion, pardoning insurrectionists and his criminal charges in a way that will certainly make life more difficult for him and his lawyers. Let's listen. I mean, DeSantis is willing to sign a five-week and six-week ban. Would you support that? You think I, that I goes think what he far? did is a terrible thing and a terrible mistake. And Republicans should go out and say the following, because I think the Republicans speak very inarticulately about this subject. Proud Boys uh, leader Enrique Tarrio was sentenced to 22 years in jail. Now that you know what the sentence is, 22 years yeah. in jail. Will you give him a pardon? Will you, you give ready? other Proud Boys a pardon? Will you pardon him? In Minneapolis, I'd certainly look at it. I'd look at that, and I'd look at all the other people that have suffered, the J6 people. Were you calling the shots, though, Mr. President, ultimately? Uh, as to whether or not I believed it was rigged? Oh, sure. I, okay. I, it was my decision. Are you saying you needed those votes in order to win? Are you acknowledging you didn't win? I'm not, not acknowledging. No, I say I won the election. That's what I say. Why do you think so many legal experts are saying that Trump's comments may have uh, made his case harder to win? What what kind of trouble might he have gotten himself in there? Well, I think they want retweets. <laughs> <laughs> I think part of it. 
That's a very good point. Yeah, you did talk to Larry Tribe last week, though. Reposts, reposts. Oh, they're sorry, they're reposts. They're uh, what rethreads? Oh, back to your question. Do you want to answer it? I can say uh, two things. That's my question. More, two... <laughs> no, I was putting it in to answer your question. Sure, sure, whatever. Listen, that works. The point is, uh, people like Lawrence Tribe, Neil Katyal are pointing out that basically one of Trump's big defenses is going to be like, my lawyers were giving me advice. He's saying I wasn't taking that advice. Then Andrew Weissman, friend of the show, so then on top of that, he says also during the interview basically something like at 10 p.m. I said, stop counting the votes. <laughs> right. And that's that's a no-no. That's no, a big no-no. Uh, <laughs> Which he has said before, but, you know, reiterating it after you've uh, been charged. Yeah, is no, it's great. an election no-no. You're yeah, right. Look, I'm famously not a lawyer. I will say if you like go back, if you look at these, like, it's clear what Trump is trying to kind of like say to her and not like a snide way, but in like a kind of like, uh, like, uh, like uh, uh, smarty pants way is, uh, well, the thing that I thought, yeah, I was in charge of thinking that. It seems to be, if you actually look at it, what he was doing. Yeah, he's just... Uh, the other thing that's interesting is, you know, the judge is looking at whether there should be a gag order. I'd imagine saying that I hope Mark Meadows is still loyal. Oh, that yeah. That can't help. Don't forget about that. Yeah, that was not good. And also, I, I think he like also called Jack Smith deranged again. Because again. The, the gag order is supposed to protect, first and foremost, the witnesses. It's supposed to prevent the jury pool from being tainted. But it's also supposed to protect the prosecutors and the judge from attacks, which he's been leveling. There's there was something funny about the way uh, Welker asked the questions. Not actually a criticism of the questions, but just it's just sort of the world we live in when people interview Trump. Which is a lot of the questions were like that experiment where you put one marshmallow in front of a kid and say, "If you don't eat it, you get two later," because they're like, "Hey, what you, you think Mark Meadows low? Hey, would you uh, interfere with the Fed? Hey, would you tell the DOJ what to do? Come on, would you? You know, like there's like a little like uh, he's being de- he's being tempted by the questions. Baited, yeah. yeah, which is where she was getting at when she got him to say, "I listened to myself. It was my choice." Mm-hmm. Um, she put the word loyal in his mouth too. Oh, for the Mark Meadows. Like, do you yeah. think he was loyal? Yes. And I also, I do think though he's if, the whole context of the remarks, right? <laughs> the full set of the remarks. He's like, he basically said that she's like, oh, you listen, you you called some of these people crazy, some of their theories, like Sidney Powell. Like, why'd you listen to them? And he's like, well, why didn't you listen to your like campaign lawyers and your White House lawyers? He's like, well, every lawyer who told me it wasn't rigged is a rhino. Yeah, he called them all rhinos. Which doesn't really, that doesn't help your defense of counsel. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> seem like it does. <laughs> your no. advice of counsel defense. He also said he'd testify in the classified documents case, which he always says he's going to testify and then doesn't. He told Megyn Kelly in, in his interview with her last week that uh, he was allowed to steal the classified documents and that he doesn't think he had to comply with the federal subpoena. Well, she's, like, to, yes. she's like, well, but but you get a subpoena for the documents and then of course you have to. He goes, no, I don't know that's true because I had a right to have, have those documents, which is also not a great, that's not going to help his defense either. Yeah, I, would, I, I felt on the whole, I see the point that he's sort of, I found this all to be quite incremental. Uh, like there's a lot of what he is saying is a, is a, a different phrasing or reiteration of the kinds of things that were already in some of the indictment documents anyway. But yeah. The, the classified documents discussion is was frustrating, but interesting on Megyn Kelly's show because he he repeatedly says that the Presidential Record Act governs his stealing classified documents. It absolutely doesn't. doesn't. It it's, just doesn't. That is it's ludicrous. one of those things where he says it so often and he says it with such conviction and he just steamrolls over it anyway that if you stop to think about it for even one second, you realize how stupid and inane it is. Yeah. The way the law works 
isn't uh, if you don't break one law, you can't break the others. You know, it's, all, it's not like, right. you know, it doesn't really make sense it at all. It makes no sense. And Megan didn't push back on that at all, but she was like, look, I was a lawyer for a very long time. If you get a subpoena, you have to turn over the stuff. And he's like, I know that. I don't know that. He like, he, he contradicted himself in the same sentence because his little legal brain turned on. Yeah, I don't, I think that was very damaging because remember the defense on the subpoena is, oh, no, no, no. We gave you everything. What are you talking about? We didn't, it wasn't, it wasn't, oh, you sent me a subpoena and I said, fuck you, which is basically what he just said to Megyn right. Kelly. He's right. saying I didn't, ha- but he said, no, because, well, he's saying I didn't have to do, I'm, he, what he's saying both about the, he's, I don't know if he's confusing it uh, or I'm confusing it or there's no way to not confuse it, <laughs> but he, he talks about the, the, the documents the same way he talks about the footage, which is I didn't have to give you anything. I did it to be nice. I gave you everything you asked for and I didn't even have to. He's sort of taking yeah, every position. Different. He's saying they're my documents. I didn't have to give them to you, but I gave them all to you. And I didn't try to delete the footage, but we didn't delete the footage. Right. So everyone just be happy. <laughs> He's yeah. saying he didn't have to comply with a federal subpoena, which you just can't say. <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> if you're, it's not if debatable. You're, if you're, uh, if you've been charged with obstruction of justice for not complying with a federal subpoena, can't say it. Well, okay. <laughs> uh, I, 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 I'll tell you something. I'll, I'll tell you for someone who can't say something. He, he, he certainly sure, said, well, sure that's, why, that's, but, yeah, that's why he got in trouble. I think. No, no gag order for my president. That's why I think, I think Jack Smith's probably pretty happy. So let's talk about the abortion comments. He certainly seemed like there and other places he's pivoting to a general election message on abortion. Can that work for the guy who also takes credit for eliminating the constitutional right to an abortion, Tommy? I don't think so. I mean, just let's just talk about the polling. So he was criticizing Ron DeSantis in the clip we heard for signing into law a six-week abortion ban. 73% of all U.S. adults believe abortion should be allowed up to six weeks of pregnancy. 56% of Republicans say abortion should be allowed in their state up to six weeks. So this is the DeSantis position is wildly unpopular in the Republican Party. I don't think, though, that Trump is going to be able to fool anybody on abortion. He's wisely, I think, not taking the bait the, uh, in the primary. But everyone knows his judges are the ones who overturned Roe versus Wade. He brags about it in front of evangelical audiences. In the past, he said that women should be punished for getting an abortion. Like I, I just don't buy that anyone's going to be fooled by this. Yeah, he kind of lo- like kind of lumbers into this issue and he treats it like negotiating over the price of marble. You know, it's like six weeks is crazy. Seven months is crazy. We'll get together. We'll find a number where everybody walks away happy, which, of course, uh, not the way this issue works. No. Well, it's in response to the polling that a lot of Republicans will hang on to forever, even though I don't really agree with this, uh, is that, you know, if you ask people late term, right, and, you know, we've all said a million times, abortions uh, late in pregnancy are extremely rare. Usually they're because of medical complications, et cetera, et cetera. But if if you just poll the question without people having a base of knowledge, you'll have people say, oh, well, we don't want late term abortion. So he's heard that from Republican pollsters and he thinks he's going to get some kind of middle position here. I worry a little bit that it could work unless Democrats constantly remind people about uh, what Tommy just said, which is that he said that women should be punished for having abortions. And then, of course, that he's out there bragging about appointing the three justices that overturned Roe v. Wade in Dobbs. And I think that's why the Biden campaign in one of their first ads basically has him saying both of those things in an ad they have with the rest of the Republicans, too. But like Democrats, Joe Biden, 
with ads, with speeches, have to keep hammering it because no one remembers anything in this fucking country. Yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> like, I, I do think he and he's trying to like, you know, it was the same thing in in 2016 when he sort of danced around and tried to make himself seem moderate on LGBTQ issues, which, of course, he was not. Uh, same thing on like, I'm not going to be a warmonger. Right. Like, he Look, try- we have the collective memory of a goldfish in this country. That is absolutely true. I just think that the people who have been turning out in record numbers at the midterms know exactly where he stands on abortion rights are not going to be fooled by this at all. And I think the challenge, you know, the, the thing that people were frustrated about in this interview is him saying uh, Democrats want to abort babies after they're born, which is not a thing that ever happens in the world, or acting like late-term abortions are something that Democrats want, or it's you know just sort of a, a decision that's made by choice. When in reality, you hear the specifics, and it's people who are like, "I had uh, twins. One of the twins died. The other wasn't viable because their organs were growing outside of their body. The baby would have died the minute they were born. That's why I had a late-term abortion. Like those are that's the reality of." why these exceptions uh, exist that people have to better understand or bit oh and he on. and uh, yes he's just we've got to make that case because you of can, course we do i just, just think it's the easiest ad ever like he bragged about yeah. all of this he's talked about women getting punished i, think I also the think the people is, I think who the, i think the people who turned out in the midterms are turned out especially around this issue when it was on the ballot when it was it was fresh it was in those states also these were like more highly college educated people i think those people are certainly not going to forget trump's position on this but you have a general electorate people who didn't vote in the midterm and they are potentially pro-choice and Trump's up there in a debate with Biden or whatever and says, you know what? Yeah, we return it to the states and now the states get to do what they will and stuff like that. Well, let's just put, I'm not going to do anything. Let's just put this behind us. I'm not going to do anything. as Like, you yeah. can just see the He's bullshit. leaving space. He's, yeah. This, he is benefiting from the fact that, a, that these guys, that, that every other person in the field has taken an extreme and absolutely radical and deeply unpopular position on abortion. And just by dint of that, he we should just like if you were just paying attention, he is trying to and seeming reasonable on the issue across this whole interview. He is trying to seem reasonable on a number of issues. And because Ron DeSantis signed a six week ban, because Mike Pence is calling for a, a national ban, he gets to he gets to sound like this. I think the the. The, the part of it where he's dodging, right? He's like, oh, you know, we're going to come together and make a great deal. The reality is that if whatever, the, if there was a Republican Congress, they will pass a ban and Trump would sign that yes. ban. Yes, and that's, and and that that's is the what point. Democrats just have to keep saying yeah. over and over yes. and over And he's again. like, state ban, federal ban, I don't know. We'll right. He won't tell, <laughs> he, like, yes, he's, that's he's, not a position. he's talking about it like he's, he's negotiating over a, 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 a price. And look, the upside of this is he's doing this and he's trying to, wriggle out of this position because he knows how politically damaging it is. And because he's acting like a general election candidate, he's not afraid of any of these people. And clearly. And and he believes, uh, probably correctly, that this will have no impact on the fact that he is winning amongst the furthest right, most religiously conservative Republicans that will vote in Iowa. Yeah. Trump's been getting more criticism than usual from right-wing pundits and his Republican opponents. The DeSantis campaign just attacked him in a tweet (laughs) <laughs> for a uh, long list of what they see as gaffes, including denouncing the six-week abortion ban, promising to compromise with Democrats on abortion, struggling to answer Megyn Kelly's questions about, uh, as she put it, whether a man can become a woman. And, and she asked him why he gave an award to Dr. Fauci right before he left office. And the DeSantis campaign also criticized him for sounding a bit senile during his Saturday speech in D.C. Let's listen. As you know, crooked Joe Biden and the radical left thugs who have weaponized law enforcement to arrest their leading political opponent, They're leading by a lot, including Obama. I'll tell you what, you take a look at Obama and take, 
I look at some of the things that he's done. This is the same thing. The country is very divided. And we did with Obama. We won an election that everyone said couldn't be won. We have a man who is totally corrupt and the worst president in the history of our country, who is cognitively impaired, in no condition to lead, and is now in charge of dealing with Russia and possible nuclear war. Just think of it. We would be in World War II very quickly. Yes, World War Two. <laughs> World, World, World War Two. Put that. Put that in an ad. Let's get it out. Come yeah, on. Yeah. Let's get it out there. So but enough he's the, old too. Enough with the issues. Put that in. An Sick ad. of the issues. Sick of. <laughs> he's crazy. He's a crazy old man. He's so old. He sounded like a guy who had taken a painkiller and was feeling the effects. That's what it sounded like to me. Hey, when you're going to get some defamation training for time. <laughs> when you're about to lie. Allegedly. <laughs> you believe. Uh, again, that's all you have to say. You believe. I believe. Uh, <laughs> when you're going to launch an attack on your opponent for being senile, you shouldn't sound like that. You shouldn't talk about World yeah. War II. World War II did happen, I confuse believe. Confuse him for Barack Obama, then confuse Hillary Clinton right. for Barack Obama. I would Obama. say this. I, look, I know we're in the middle of, a, of our... Uh, of yet another freak out about how old Biden is and every day gets a little bit older and it's a problem. But I just would like to point out that nobody is doing a better job saying that Biden isn't too old than Donald Trump because in that interview with Welker, he says, so Welker says, is it time for a new generation? And he goes, well, it's always time for a new generation. But you know, some of the greatest world leaders have been in their 80s. I'm not anywhere very near 80, but by the way, and Biden's not too old. I don't think Biden's too old. Put that in the ad too. Fascinating. If he can say it, (laughs) why can't you say it? Just say it. Um, See how it feels. Uh, Speechwriters, though, having a dude there like doing some live synth, giving you vibes well, well, under I, your remarks. I, I think you, what's going on there? Fantastic. I want yeah, it's an innovation. I it's, want it's, you to know that time I have has come. Been, I would do that during the State of the Union. I believe I have been predicting. I, I have been predicting music for speeches for a long time. Sam, if you're listening to this, send me a text so I can screenshot it. I've been I, this. The, Who's Sam? Who's Sam? Someone I went to college Uncle with. Uncle Sam? Okay. Oh, well, okay. He's just a person. Just, I know that. Okay. I, I just figured you should. Ryan, oh, yeah, right. call me after this. Oh, that's my friend Ryan. He's a composer. <laughs> what the fuck what? are you talking about? <laughs> what do you use this pod for? You don't use it to talk to your friends. Sometimes I use in. it for what? That's what I'm using it for today. Okay. Minor chords, major uh, chords at the end. Beautiful. Swell. I think an innovation would be uh, during the State of the Union, if an intermission between the domestic policy section and the foreign policy section. I love section. that idea. You just take play a, piss, a little get music, some popcorn, <laughs> yes, come back. Snacks. When we come back, I'll take a tour through all seven continents. You got like a, you got a real bar. Do we think any of these attacks have the potential to hurt Trump in the primary? I just think... and I will say that for any of them to make any difference, probably probably it needs to be more than a tweet from a random staffer. If you're on the if you're Ron DeSantis, <laughs> but beyond yeah. that, do you think the message? Sorry, go ahead, Tom. No, no, no. I mean, I just my take on this is they haven't so far. And I, you know, maybe now you could argue, well, it's mid September, people are paying more attention. The evangelicals in Iowa are waking up to the fact that. Donald Trump isn't with them on the six-week abortion ban, but I think they all like Trump and they think that he will implement their agenda. And I don't know. Yeah, I think they are also, I think these other Republicans are paying for what what really is going to be an advantage. You know, we were talking before the show that like the Lauren Boeber clip, not on Fox, right? Donald Trump seeming too old. Like if, if Joe Biden has a moment like that, it's all over right-wing media. Those are not the moments they take out. And I would just say like watching Trump with Welker, he was fucking on it. He was sharp. He was responsive. He like he just he was like as strong. Look, he's obviously fucking cuckoo. And you look at the you look at the transcripts, and you can barely make sense. But as a as like the sharp version of him, the most sharp we've seen, it was there. So, well, and I, I it's, it, I've been noticing this. 
he was better. He's been he's been better and sharper with mainstream journalists with Caitlin Collins during the CNN town hall and now with Kristen Welker on Meet the Press than he's been with his pals in the right wing media. Like he sounded like fucking nuts on the Tucker Carlson interview and he sounded he was really bad with Megyn Kelly because he gets to fight them. He gets to fight the mainstream media and Tucker's over there being like, but again, Epstein. Killed himself? No. I'm trying to pin you down here. And he's there, like, what the fuck are you talking about? And I man? think he wasn't expecting Megyn Kelly to be as tough as she was with him. Yeah, she did a pretty good job. Uh, he made a couple oblique references to the uh, debate question that led to her eventual ouster from Fox. So, you know, I feel like there was a sword hanging over the whole time. You know, I, I do think that I, I don't think that like he's not conservative enough works really well. I, I didn't notice as I was prepping, like, it has it bubbled up. Some of these attacks from the right that DeSantis has been doing have bubbled up more in the conservative media. Like, Eric Erickson was attacking him for the question on, on the answer on trans issues with Megyn Kelly. And he got a couple, he's got like a bad New York Post story about it. And, you know, Bob Vanderplatt's out there getting pissed about the abortion stuff. The guy, the, the evangelical Bobby leader. Bobby has hated Trump for years. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's so it's like, 16, yeah. you know, Steve Deese, he's like a uh, right-wing radio guy from Iowa. But like, I think that attacking Trump as someone who's lost a step and doesn't know what the hell he's talking about is probably more effective and i'm i think it, it could be too late but like i wonder why desantis and others didn't you could start with the like he was a great president and he served us well and now we're moving on you could start there and then as the primary goes on you could be like he's a little crazy yeah <laughs> you know like you don't have to be i just think that's more effective than going issue by issue but just because like, republican of, voters don't really care about issues but then you like you have you have you know a desantis staffer taking a shot at him through a statement and then what is DeSantis it's seemingly uh, uh, best swing at news of the day is like going after John Fetterman for, for not the wearing a bow tie code. what was that so that's that's how you're going to be you done. are that's, 40 points behind that's you're how talking you're about be... a fucking dress code in the Senate <laughs> yeah. maniac I think you'll beat Fetterman in the primary <laughs> man of the I people I think you're going to get a few points more than John Fetterman in the Republican primary in Iowa and uh. he, did, well, he didn't get a question about it no. he was like I, he went out of his way he's at a little was, press conference and he's like I want to talk about something that's on he, my he mind was and I was like, like oh here comes the Donald Trump hit on the abortion. No, 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 no. No, it's like yeah. fucking Leno. He's like, you hear about this? You, you guys see this? You guys hear about this? Like, what the fuck are you doing? In defense of Seersucker Tuesday. And he sounds like such a goddamn we should say, asshole. We should say, by the way, the, the hit is, if, in case people didn't know this news, um, uh, Chuck Schumer changed the dress code in the Senate so that you don't have to wear a suit and tie all the time, which John Fetterman has not been doing. So that And it's this has freaked out some people on the right, including Megyn Kelly and Ron DeSantis. And I can't think of anything that makes Ron DeSantis seem more like the absolute worst version of himself. That's like, I think you should be wearing a tie when you come to my house. It <laughs> fucking <ridiculous>. sucks. <laughs> also, man, you work in like Tallahassee. Like, you want to wear a tie down there? Um, I, I do think DeSantis has tried an age hit. I can't remember which one of them, either Megyn Kelly or Kristen Welker, was kind of like Ron DeSantis says, you won't be as effective at age 80. And Trump's response was, well, he won't be effective because he's a bad candidate and just like blasted right through it. So it's good. So Joe Biden, let's talk about Joe Biden. He's at the U.N. General Assembly this week, uh, though he's dealing with quite a few challenges on the domestic front right now. Um, House Republicans are trying to impeach him and shut down the government. His own Justice Department just indicted his son on gun charges. And Democrats are freaking out over bad polls that show real concern about his age and the economy, which is still being weighed down by inflation, gas prices, and now potentially the United Auto Workers strike. Uh, let's start with the strike. I'll get into the details more with uh, Representative Slotkin, but what do you guys think about the politics? Biden and Democrats are obviously supporting the workers. The White House is trying to broker a deal, but Republicans are trying to drive a wedge between auto workers 
and the UAW leadership, car companies, and Biden by blaming the transition to electric vehicles for the strike. So if you step all the way back, the UAW, the big three, the Biden administration are completely aligned, right? Like they want there to be a big electric car industry by unionized workers in America, big union shops making the next generation of cars. Tesla is not unionized. The gigaplant that makes the batteries, not unionized. I got rid of my Tesla because I'm a good person and it Mm. rattled. Uh, (laughs) And I got a Volvo, which was made in Belgium. And it's a fucking Volvo. And it was made in Belgium. It rattled. Menchie's on Twitter about Elon Musk. It's out. I can't be sitting (laughs) in a car that that is getting me uh, bad replies and... As it makes a little noise. <laughs> you know what else is making a noise? Those replies. Making a little <laughs> rattle in your head. But, but, but the, so, but the uh, Inflation Reduction Act incentivized a ton of investment in manufacturing in the United States. One criticism from the unions is that it didn't do enough to incentivize that that production be done by unionized workers. The Biden administration. And we know why. We know why it didn't include that. Like everything else that went bad over the last several yes. years. Joe Manchin I think, took it ta- I think you're talking about Joe Manchin, gotcha. but but <laughs> but then right before you know a couple of weeks ago, the Biden administration has trying to been trying to address this. Uh, but you know, GM, Ford, they've been doing these kind of joint ventures to build battery manufacturing facilities. Those facilities haven't been unionized. So so underneath this is a fight about yes for these workers at these plants right now, but also for the future of the industry. And you know, it's not just about Ford and GM and uh, uh, Chrysler versus these workers in this negotiation, it's them collectively trying to make sure in the same way that the U.S. auto industry faced competition from uh, Japanese cars in the 70s and 80s and faced a crisis in 2008. It's can they get to the other side of this and work together to make sure that U.S. companies and union workers are the ones that make these cars? I'm going to step even further back. Okay. Hank Ford. Just oh, kidding. God. <laughs> Jesus. Hank Ford? Who's fr- he's Henry. He's a friend oh, oh, Hank. I, um, I, I, I forgot that he goes by Hank. Uh, I, I just remember that he was an anti-Semite. <laughs> Apparently, you'd, you didn't care enough. That's why you called him Hank. I'm worried about the politics, too, because you have the Republicans trying to create this wedge issue, and their narrative is being reinforced by the UAW leadership and by the car companies, who are all kind of complaining about the competitiveness and the EV mandates in the future. And I also think... Uh, union workers are particularly susceptible to inflation and gas prices going up because if you're making an hourly wage um, that's negotiated years ago, that's incredibly challenging. And exit polls showed that four in 10 voters in union households voted for Trump in 2020. So I think there's probably some cultural issues where Trump and Republicans are pushing on an open door and will find ways to split union voters from the Democratic Party um, so I hope that, I mean, it's really good that Biden came out in favor of the strikers. Obama did too, basically every Democrat, a bunch of Democrats on the picket line. But, uh, you know, UAW has got 150,000 workers. Like it's, this could, this could swing, swing states. I think Democrats should say about this like Republican attempt to drive a wedge between them on electric vehicles. These people are full of shit. They don't want the Inflation Reduction Act incentives to suddenly go to, they don't want these loans to go to union shops that are making electric vehicles. They just don't want electric vehicles. And, you know, J.D. Vance was saying that. He said, oh, we're just importing parts from Tesla parts from China, and that leaves out U.S. workers. They just don't want electric vehicles, right? But, and, you know, uh, Congresswoman Slotkin brings this up in our interview too. Like, the market is moving towards electric vehicles. 
like that people want electric no vehicles and They're it's going to be more and, more and more and cheaper. So the question is, do we want to have them built in China overseas or do we want to have them built in the United States? And Democrats want them built in the United States. Biden administration wants them built in the United States. The UAW wants them built in the United States. And so does the big three automakers, right? And so the question is, can we make sure that incentives to build new battery plants and electric vehicles go to places where there are unions, where their unions are allowed? Because part of the problem is some of these loans are going to like Georgia and the Carolinas where they're right to work states and they don't have to be unions. Mm -hmm. And that's not Joe Biden and the Democrats fault. That's fucking Republicans fault because they don't want to have union protections in those states. And I think Democrats just have to call out the like the bullshit that it is like Republicans have never been on the side of workers. They've never been on the side of unions, especially unions. They've been trying to break up unions. So I think it is a real problem and it's a real challenge because some of these loans have gone to shops that aren't union shops and and workers are worried about that. And they're also worried that it takes fewer parts to make electric vehicles. So it might not be as much, there might not be as much work for auto workers. That's the real structural challenge. And also these workers, you know, they have not benefited the way that the executives have at these companies since uh, the Obama administration bailed out the big three automakers. Also, you know, the, the broader context is that Biden has done some incredibly important things for unions very recently. Like the NLRB under Biden has taken all sorts of really important pro-union steps. They're just complicated and hard to explain and people may not know about them. But I do think it's, in the end, where the union and these companies are aligned is they together are in a competition with Rivian, with Tesla, with companies all around the world. And they want to prove that these union shops can compete and they can make the best cars, they can make the, mo- the, the most like the most beautiful and well-run and interesting and creative and innovative cars that people are excited to buy. They want to get to the other side of this negotiation so they can do that, but they have to do that together. And there's no, po- there's like, you know, we can, we can talk about what the politics mean and what Democrats should be saying and all the rest, but, but underneath that is the substance. And that, that is the question that will determine whether or not the U.S. succeeds and has unionized auto plants making the next generation cars where they can make a deal and then actually move forward and make the cars that can beat Tesla, that can beat Riven, that can beat their international competitors. Yeah. And by the way, to the point about having more work, like also ensuring that these battery plants and these battery factories are unionized as well, mm-hmm. because maybe the part there's fewer parts for cars, but like we're also building these batteries and that should be like all of this clean energy transition has to like put workers at the center of the transition. And for it's sure. not a coincidence that like you know, Ford does a deal with, uh, like, I think it's Samsung and and GM does a deal with another South Korean company so that those joint ventures aren't covered by the collective bargaining agreements. Like, they're not, these things yeah. aren't happening by accident. Right. Yeah. All right, let's talk shutdown, uh, which now seems even more likely than it did last week. Uh, a supposed deal between Kevin McCarthy and the House Freedom Caucus to pass just a short-term funding bill has apparently fallen apart. Uh, and a lot of Republican leaders seem to be in favor of a shutdown, including Ron DeSantis, Mike Pence, and Donald Trump. Uh, conventional wisdom is that a shutdown will be bad politics for Republicans and good politics for Joe Biden. What do you guys think? I think it's probably right. I mean, every headline is about Republicans attacking Kevin McCarthy. You know, like Biden is sort of absent from this. The the Senate's kind of absent for this, at least for now. I think it's also helpful that Donald Trump says to Welker, like, if they don't get a good deal, shut the government down. You know, that I don't think people won't know where to lay the blame for this. I do worry Yes, maybe that, you know, if you run a poll, it'll say that more people hold Republicans responsible than they do for Democrats. But in the end, the way press coverage is, the UAW strike gets laid at Biden's feet, a government shutdown gets laid yeah. at Biden's feet, inflation gets laid at Biden's feet. So it's, you know, a country in which people have 
insecurity and fears and concerns about the economy, even as the, the, the numbers improve, where there's all these sort of chaotic markers, I don't think ultimately redounds to Biden's benefit. Yeah, I think everyone who is going to follow this story will know that it's the Republicans' fault, but most of the country won't follow the story. And when they wake up one day and just see headlines that the government shut down, are they going to be like, Ugh, did Republicans do it? Did Democrats do it? Probably Republicans, but I don't know. Joe Biden, fix it. <laughs> you know, so that, so, but I think it's a good opportunity for Biden to show that he is fighting for the vast majority of Americans uh, who don't want to see cuts in education, health care, disaster relief, basic government services, just because Donald Trump and a few fucking goons in the House uh, want to impeach Joe Biden over nothing. I think that's, you know, and I think he, and if, if Biden ends up being the adult who gets the government back open and also is out there fighting on behalf of people who don't want to see these cuts, I think that's a good position for him to be in. Yeah, just there have been 15 government shutdowns since 1990. And like, I, I do wonder if people just, you just, like I asked you guys before we started, hey, there was the longest government shutdown ever was in 2019. Why did it happen? None of us could remember why. First you said, do you remember what the, tw the, the shutdown in 2019 was about? I'm like, and I said, I don't know. I think it was short. And you go, mm, actually, it was the longest in history. <laughs> I was like, wow, I do not remember don't, that. Don't remember. 35 just didn't days? Retain it. Didn't retain it. Yeah. And so the question is, like, the, these 18 moderate Republicans who represent districts that Joe Biden won, none of them like the politics of this. But, uh, you know, by election day, do their voters remember? I don't know anymore. I mean, it's just the only hope McCarthy had here was to do what he did in the debt ceiling, get something out of the House by telling everyone in the House, look, none of you agree on this, none of you are happy, but unless we send something over to the Senate, we can't do anything here and we're going to have to cut a deal with Democrats. And let's just send something over to the Senate or else we're going to get jammed by the Senate because they're going to pass a bill. That was his only hope. And he thought that he had something. <laughs> and now it does seem like now this happened last time, of course, and then they cobbled something together. Mm -hmm. But this time, the way that your Matt Gateses and your Chip Roy's and all these people are talking, it sounds like they just want McCarthy to fail because they want to try to go for a motion to vacate. They hate him. Yeah, it's a fool me once situation. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, that was the that was the same deal with the debt ceiling, which was this idea that if McCarthy could just pass something out of the House with anything. his majority, with anything, somehow that, that would strengthen his hand. There's nothing that can pass the Republican House with just Republican votes that can pass the Senate. So we will ultimately. Nothing. And so, you know, maybe like it, maybe in an maybe in the world, McCarthy helped destroy. There's, there's there nothing, was a, it the, seems like there's nothing that can pass the Republican House, period. Well, Forget sure, about it that but, can pass the Senate. They're blocking right, a defense not. spending bill but, but, as we speak. But like. We don't live in the, in part because of what McCarthy and his politics have done. We don't live in a world where the fact that a House Republican bill was able to pass gives him leverage in working with the, the Senate. No, if there's, if, if they want to keep the government open, it's going to be a bipartisan vote in the Senate. It's going to be a bipartisan vote in the House. And the only way that's going to happen is if it's with Democratic votes in the House. And the only way that's going to happen is, is if there is a negotiation, which the House Freedom Caucus would never agree to. Yeah, I mean, and just as an example, what this what this short term funding bill that is probably never going to see the light of day, what it did is it had like a, a pretty hefty cut to spending way below the levels that Biden and McCarthy agreed on. A deal, eight percent, eight percent across just like the board. A deal that already took place. They made we made a deal. We're living under the so deal. Even if it was even if it was just the eight percent cut and nothing else, it wouldn't have passed. They throw on their immigration bill, essentially, that the House Republicans wanted, which would rebuild the wall and sort of do all, you know, just the most stringent immigration thing, cut asylum, refugees, all that kind of stuff. 
but they, they cobble this together without realizing that the 8% cut across the board would cut enforcement of immigration. <laughs> Solid. It would just decimate enforcement at the border. Genius. Because they don't. There's nowhere for him to go. There's just nowhere for him to go. Bobert looks up. Looks up from her playbill. What? <laughs> and there was uh, no money for Ukraine. No disaster relief funding. Like none of the above the line thing. That they know the Senate wants, but it's Senate Republicans want too. Senate Republicans yeah. want too. Yeah, but you know, listen, uh, my guy, Congressman Dusty Johnson, mm-hmm. has been working this just package up hard. That name. That's a name he made. That's up. Dusty Johnson, South <laughs> okay. Dakota. My favorite. So, uh huh. What about him? Have hope. Oh, you got work. Just working the package. Just working on it. He's um, working on it. One Republican who is quite done with his party's antics is Willard Mitt Romney, uh, whose announcement last week that he'll be retiring from the Senate was accompanied by quite an exit interview with McKay Coppins, who spent hours with Romney for a forthcoming biography. Should be out next month. The Atlantic ran an excerpt where Romney torches his Republican colleagues as phonies who privately share his disdain for Donald Trump but refused to do anything about it, specifically calling out Mitch McConnell, Mike Pence, Josh Hawley, and J.D. Vance, who he does not care for. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He does not like J.D. Vance. uh, I'm there with you, buddy. Uh, Romney sums up his feelings by telling McKay, quote, a very large portion of my party really doesn't believe in the Constitution. Good for Mitt. Uh, What else did you guys find noteworthy about this piece? So, uh, first of all, I think it's just worth just This is a very sad story about a very sad man (laughs) who is very lonely in his isolation from the Trump supporting parts of the Senate and like his family and his family because he's stuck because he's because he's here. But he talks about like McKay Coppins says at one point that his conversations often last for hours in part because he thought Romney liked the company. But it was really striking. Right. Like there's one part where he says authoritarianism is like a gargoyle lurking over the cathedral and it was just you we we've seen Mitt Romney giving Josh Hawley Josh Hawley the eyes from behind behind him during his speech uh, uh, after the insurrection and we've seen him give these statements and it really was just interesting to see what it was actually like to live behind the scenes with these people who are all telling him one after another that they don't believe any of the things they are saying and how much of a personal crisis it created for for Mitt Romney who was I think genuinely trying to sort out how to how to work in this environment. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting where he named names because there were a lot of like blind anecdotes about senators saying things to him that sort of told you something about how broken the institution was. But he <laughs> destroys J.D. Vance, Josh Hawley, and Mitch McConnell. And I thought that was interesting and telling. Like, for example, McConnell says to Romney, you're lucky you can say the things that we all think. It's like, buddy, you represent Kentucky? You are the leader of your party. Why why can't you say what you think? Just because you're pathetic. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think McConnell believes that saying what he thinks would fracture the party and and a divided party is always less successful, right? Oh, for sure. And so he can, and and Romney says it, they keep saying like, well, it's just more, we can't let the Democrats take over, right? That's the whole, the, the underlying, the whole thing is the worst thing that could happen is not authoritarianism or Donald Trump or anything like that. It's Democrats running the government. That is, I think, the most... That was that was also striking, which is they don't believe a word of what they're saying about Donald Not Trump, word. but they believe every word they're saying about Democrats. I actually, I do think yeah. that they believe that because one of the points Mitch McConnell makes to Mitt Romney is like, they'll do the Green New Deal. <laughs> Uh, some other some other stuff is just funny. Uh, They'll save us from planetary collapse. I know. Yeah. Could you could you imagine? Uh, there are twenty senators here who do all the work, and there are eighty who are just along for the ride. Yeah, oh, welcome to having tracks. a job, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, Richard Burr walks on the treadmill in his suit, pants, and loafers. Sherrod Brown, Sher- Brown and Dick Durbin pedaled so slowly on their exercise bikes that Romney couldn't help but peek at their resistance settings. Durbin was a one, but Brown was at an eight. <laughs> I love that. And one person you didn't mention that he goes after incredibly hard is Paul Ryan. Oh, yeah. Paul Ryan, who's not in office, calls to whip votes against him on impeachment. What, just for fucking fun? Uh, you know what? I'm that glad you brought fuck? that up. Because I wanted good... to yell at everyone. I wanted to especially talk to Dan about that, who, who, who oh, yeah. knew how he feels about Paul Ryan. That was wild to me. Because I, I looked at the date of when that was, because I'm like, oh, was was Ryan speaker at the time? Mm-hmm. No, he's out of office. He's gone. He's, he's already doing Fox, his like, oh, his I don't like Trump. I'm, I'm standing up. Blah, blah, blah. But then he's like, calling. He's like, oh, you know, Mitt, you can't, you gotta, you gotta acquit Trump on impeachment. You gotta do it. He's what whipping votes for him. And then the other, the other thing, and that, and Paul Ryan makes the kind of political argument. Coward. It's, it's no, worse than coward. Worse than coward. Because he had nothing to be afraid Useless of. Useless coward. No, what, what, <laughs> he's not even, he's just being a terrible person. <laughs> he's just being <laughs> terrible. Like, he's, no one's coming after him. It's a private phone call. He couldn't tell the truth sucks. on a private Paul phone Ryan call. Sucks. But, you know, the argument that keeps me made to writ, you, there's a moment where he's with his staff. And he's telling his staff he's going to vote for impeachment. And the, some of the staff are like beside themselves because it's like their political careers are going to be affected. And then a senator, he's a senator, a member of leadership. And this is one of your one of your anonymized ones says uh, that he was leaning to vote to convict. And the others urged him to reconsider. You can't do that. Romney recalled someone saying, think of your personal safety. Think of your children. The senator eventually decided that they were right. That yeah. is true. And the fact that, you know. And that's a theme through the piece, because when they talk about January 6th and Romney, text McConnell and is like, hey, um, Ang- I just talked to Angus King and he said that there's like real concerns about security on January 6th and I'm getting threats and also people are threatening to like go to your house, Mitch, and blah, blah, blah. And McConnell never responds. Uh, yeah, I mean, he may not be, just may not be a good texter, but uh, <laughs> but like Romney says- it was, has, it was sitting there, it's a green bubble yeah, on his a green, phone. It's definitely, <laughs> definitely a fucking green text. <laughs> McConnell gets 100% green text. He's on T9. Freezing 30 seconds at a time. It's hard to type when you freeze fully for 30 seconds at a time. He and Schumer are like T9ing each other during the AI hearing. Yeah, I can't believe we We have recognized regulated big tech. Chuck Chuck Schumer's on a flip flown. The the, the Republican minority leader is frozen solid. But the... uh, but but uh, he's Romney's talking about being driven uh, with security behind him, and he's worrying what's going to happen if someone takes a shot at him. But the car behind him won't really help. And uh, we we really kind of have like gotten to the point where the former Republican nominee for president is saying that the threat of violence, that the fear that Republicans will do violence against Republican politicians, is so great that it is changing the way people vote. In Congress, he, Romney says he spends five thousand dollars a day on security. A day, no one can afford that. And also, I was saying this to Tommy, but like every time I read another account of January sixth, I become radicalized all over again yeah. in my anger yeah. about that day. And like that image of when Josh Hawley is objecting to and trying to overturn the election after. After January 6th happens, and then there's Mitt Romney in the background, like, giving him the eyes, you realize how infuriated he must be because when he talks about what they all went through, how they were all scared for their lives, how, the, like, the, they were at the doors, there were weapons, there were all this kind of stuff, and then Romney's like, well, it's all done now, we're going to get back in there, and they're going to drop their objections, and we're going to, you know, make Joe Biden president, it's all going to be fine, and then they go up there, and they all still fucking object. Yeah, he couldn't believe it. He wrote a speech, <laughs> and he thought, well, I won't need this. Certainly, I won't need this now. And the other, just to uh, reading again another account of the of like a first person account of the insurrection. You know, Trump 
to Welker made up something about how uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi rejected. He blames her for the entire blames her. Yeah. Um, and they, of course, there's been you know different accounts about why there wasn't more security, but like you realize like how terrifying it was in part because nobody thought this was going to happen. Nobody expected it. There was a lot of ineptitude. There's one moment where he's in in the elevator. And someone says, oh, the senators don't know where to go. And they're like, we are the senators and we don't know where to go. <laughs> yeah, the security guards were like, I don't know where you go. Yeah. And yeah, the, uh, it's just also just like Mitt Romney. There's a part where he quotes Tennyson. He says, you know, this madness has come on us for our sins. It's a beautiful sentiment. It's a beautiful quote. Uh, the days of senators from the Republican Party quoting Tennyson are at an end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, he also, there's, there's the part where he had flirted with an independent run mm -hmm. for president just so he could get on the debate stage with Trump and, and go after him, which I'm sure is the fantasy of a lot of politicians yeah. <laughs> uh, to do that. Uh, but then some of them named Donald just, Trump, some just them, yeah, right. pointing like this in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but then he does say that he has talked to uh, Joe Manchin about what a mistake it would be to mm -hmm. run on the no labels ticket. So, you know, doing all the right things, Mitt Romney doing other things. Yeah. He also talks about starting a, he said, don't don't run for president, let's start a party, which is- Right, that pushes one of the parties, yeah. I noticed that uh, Joe Biden's former chief of staff, Ron Klain, tweeted like, you know, something complimentary about Mitt Romney and this interview, but that said, there is one more thing you can do, which is get behind Joe Biden, and you haven't done and that. Ron has a, and Ron has a, fair a good point. point. Yes. Should, you know, that's, and I get it. And I get that's hard for Mitt Romney because like, you know, Barack Obama ran against Mitt Romney in 2012, and there was a big and honest debate over the size and role of government. <laughs> Mitt Romney believes in a very small government, and we do not, right? And and I think that like that that debate is real, and so I think for Mitt Romney, like evolving to the point where he's like, all my policy considerations are secondary to this threat from authoritarianism that is coming within my own party. Like I think that you know that takes a that it takes some effort that very few other Republican politicians except for like Liz Cheney and a couple others have made that journey. Well, you know, I will say this is I really appreciate this version of Mitt Romney, but I do think that one of the things he's grappling with when he sees all these other politicians is the way he himself oh, subsumed, for sure. subsumed his own principles for the purpose of elective office. He did the event with and, Donald Trump. And if he and if he can find a way to evolve from being pro-choice to pro-life. He can find a way to evolve from being a Republican <laughs> member of the Senate to a person who is endorsing Joe Biden to save the country he clearly loves and believes is threatened by by Donald Trump. He yeah. can do it. Yeah. yeah. But, and look, Ron's tweet is right, but also the smart thing to do if you're going to make that endorsement is to do it like in late October. Yes, I agree. You that. know, make news. Okay, before we go to break, two quick housekeeping notes. The second Republican presidential debate is coming up on Wednesday, September 27th, which means it's time for another Friends of the Pod exclusive group thread. Join us on Discord for live reactions and commentary during the debate from your favorite Crooked hosts and staff. Subscribe to Friends of the Pod to join our group thread at crooked.com slash friends. Also, if you live in the Midwest, get out your malort. Love it or leave it is coming to Chicago this week on September 21st and Madison on September 22nd. With wonderful guests like Brandon Johnson, Peter Sagal, Alice Waterland, Jillian Flynn, Ben Wickler, and more. Tickets are going fast. Head to crooked.com slash events to get yours today. Yeah, well, just one thing. I'll just say that the, the Madison and Chicago shows are almost sold out. Wow. But Love or Leave is going to be across the country. Pod Save America is going to be across the country. So go to crooked.com slash events. Yeah, you can't go wrong if you go to crooked.com slash events. You can't go wrong. When we come back, I talk more about the UAW strike with Michigan Representative Alyssa Slotkin. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How do you cope when there's something weighing on you or something you need to get off your chest? You know the best way to do it? Best way to cope is to talk about it. Not just cram it down, 
not do what generations of New Englanders have done, just stuff their feelings down, maybe cover it with a coat of booze. No, you got to talk to someone, you got to work it out, get it off your chest. And just by doing that, you will feel better. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com PSA. Go today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot P-S-A. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Last week, the United Auto Workers initiated a strike against all three major automakers in the United States. Here to discuss this historic strike, the political implications, and her race for the U.S. Senate, Representative Alyssa Slotkin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So you joined a UAW picket line uh, at a Ford plant in Wayne, Michigan last week. What was the mood like? Did the workers you met seem like they are ready to strike for as long as it takes? Or did you get the sense that they're ready and willing to give a bit to get a deal? No, I think the energy was really good. I mean, morale was good. They were. It, I was there on the very first day um, and people you know, had been moving towards this. And and I think the energy was positive. Look, people were there signing up for strike benefits. So they are obviously watching their own pocketbooks. And and I don't think anyone in Michigan wants a really long, prolonged strike, no matter who you are. Um, but the energy was good. And um, it was interesting. I met a couple of people who had had parents who were um, UAW workers at that same plant the last time it struck, that specific plant struck in the 80s. And, um, you know, just kind of talking about, you know, being being ready to do what they needed to do to make sure they got a good deal. So the Ford CEO said the union's demands for a 46% pay increase in a four-day work week would bankrupt the company. The basic automaker argument is, you know, labor costs are already higher than foreign automakers like Toyota and Tesla that don't have unions. And, you know, they offered a 21% pay increase, that which the UAW has rejected. What's the best counter to the argument from Ford and other automakers, in your opinion? Well, I mean, I think the 
the the strongest statement about these negotiations is that the die was cast months ago, right? It's the context for these negotiations. The context is um, you have a bunch of people who gave up things in 2008, 2009 because we were in recession in Michigan, in a real recession, um, where we are now fast forward making record profits at those same companies. I mean, that's that's just fact. Um, and these companies are also getting help in setting up uh, new things like electric vehicle battery plants, right? So against that context, um, you have workers who are saying, hey, we gave up stuff before, and now you're doing really, really well. We want to do better, and we want more money in our pockets. And that, to me, is like the greatest statement about where we are in these negotiations. I'm not in the negotiations, so I don't know the back and forth that's happening on an hour-to-hour -hour basis. I know that um, they're they're looking for a better deal than what they have, and I don't think that's I don't think that's that's a crazy thing to ask for. Politico ran a story yesterday that said uh, the GOP sees the UAW walkout as a potential lifeline in Michigan and talks about how Republicans are trying to win over rank and file union members and non-union working class voters uh, by blaming the strike on the Democratic Party's climate policies. Donald Trump is reportedly planning a trip to the same Ford plant that you just visited uh, and said that the union should prioritize the repeal of Biden policies that accelerate the transition to electric vehicles. You've gotten this attack yourself from Republicans. Does it worry you at all? Like, do you hear these concerns about electric vehicles from auto workers in your state? So, you know, be, I'll be honest, like most of the people that I talked to, and I, of course, represented an electric vehicle plant. Uh, the Chevy Bolt was made in my district before it was redrawn. We have an electric vehicle battery factory coming to my current district in Delta Township, Lansing. Um, the next generation of vehicles is going to be made, right? And right now, like places like China are ahead of us. So if we're going to make those vehicles somewhere in the world, I would always rather make them like in Team America than Team China. And so there's a second order question that comes after that. How do we make sure people in those facilities are making a living wage, only have to work, you know, one job in order to sustain themselves? They should be able to have a good middle class life. But if the question is who should make those vehicles, Team America should make those. So every time they they say that, I mean, I, I just say, would you rather it be China? Like, what is your alternative here? Now, there's a very good conversation to have about making sure we push the car companies to give people a fair shot at life in those in those facilities. I have a huge interest in that. We got to get that right. And certainly um, for the bipartisan group of us that, you know, signed on to the CHIPS Act that cared about incentivizing American manufacturing, we have a huge incentive to making sure they get that right. But the first order of business is make it in America and not in China. So you don't think that this, and, and Republicans have been trying to do this for a long time to pit, you know, labor against climate activists. Um, you don't think that's really going to work? Well, look, I mean, they're, they're certainly, they're um, they're trying, but I don't think you can, I think they have this fundamental conundrum that they're going to have to deal with on the Republican side, which is you got a lot of people, including a lot of senior folks in Michigan, Republicans who have for 20 years voted against anything related to labor, 
But mm. now because of Donald Trump, they're suddenly populists and now they care about the working man. When you've got a 20 year re record of voting against right to work and prevailing wage and all of these things, um, it is pretty hard to turn around and be Mr. Union. And that is the needle they're trying to thread. And, you know, all I know is that when I was out on Friday, no one's talking about Trump. No one's talking about Biden. No one's talking about politics. They're talking about being able to have more money in their pockets so they can do well and their kids can do better. It's really not um, as, to me, as like desperately political as everyone would like it to be made mm. out to be. So the New York Times interviewed a few dozen striking workers and found that many who voted for the president said Quote, inflation had so undercut their wages that they felt pushed out of the middle class, laying the blame with Mr. Biden. How do you persuade those workers to vote for Democrats like you and Joe Biden next year? So, you know, I think the there's no doubt about it, right? People, because of inflation, they this is the point. They have more, um, they have less money in their pockets and more of a desire to make more money. That's that is sort of a fact of life. Um, and all we can do is try to demonstrate that we care about this core American value of the middle class. Like that to me is the sun and the moon of American, frankly, national security is how do you have a strong middle class and how dangerous it is in a multiracial, multiethnic experiment to have only rich and only poor. And I think that um, if you just put on merit the policies of one party over the other, it is very clear which one supports a middle class life. Um, and um, all we can do is is demonstrate that. And But we also can't shy away from the fact that inflation is a real thing. And while we hope it's getting better, um, it's not better yet for many, many people. And if you try and shy away from that and say, well, but jobs are growing and all this, that may be true. But to the people I represent, they have less money in their pockets. That's all. Oh, there's a whole lot of reasons for that. But you can't shy away from that. Yeah. Biden's also, of course, dealing with concerns about his age. Democratic pundits and strategists are in, in full freakout mode. But, you know, we're also seeing it from voters in, in poll after poll. What would you say to a Biden voter in Michigan who's worried about whether the president's too old to serve a second term? You know, look, I think I've said repeatedly that it's not just one person. You look at a lot of the candidates in, you know, looking for the White House, the Senate, the House. It is definitely, you know, as someone who's kind of like a Gen Xer, um, it is definitely feels like we need a new generation across the board. And you can feel that interest. Um, uh the president is running for a second term. There is nothing more natural than a president running for a second term. That's typically how we do it in this country. Um, and uh, all I can say is that, you know, he's, he is the president of the United States. His policies have helped a place like Michigan. And so, you know, it, it to me, it's only natural that he runs and I support that. Um, but do I think we need a new generation across the board, right? Mr. Trump as well, not a spring chicken. Um, you know, folks in the Senate, oh my Lord, right? In the House, oh my mm -hmm. Lord. So uh, that's, I think I can feel that generational push across the board. Michigan's a place where Democrats have done quite well since uh, Hillary Clinton barely lost the state in 2016. Though people like you and Gretchen Whitmer and Debbie Stabenow, who you're running to replace in the Senate, have all won by much larger margins than national Democrats uh, like Biden or how Hillary narrowly lost. What do you think Michigan Democrats can teach national Democrats about winning states like yours? 
Well, I mean, I think that in Michigan, uh, I mean, I'm someone who likes math. And if you're going to be successful in the state of Michigan, you need to understand math. And math means that we are a state where independent and swing voters usually decide our elections, right? That's we're a swing state for a reason. So I think it's important to understand that while you always want to turn out the base and be in touch with the base, that it is about appealing to a broad group of people, which if you've been elected in Michigan, that typically, you know, you've demonstrated that. Um, but I think it's also about, um, uh, if I can be honest, getting into areas and going to places where Democrats have not shown up in 40 years, not writing off rural areas. I represent a rural district, um, not writing off those areas where, you know, people may not be able to be out marching in the streets, but they want a better world. And they're willing to vote that way. Um, you know, I always tell people that, um, frankly, uh, you know, there are a lot of Democrats and progressively minded people in very conservative areas, and they risk a hell of a lot more to be a Democrat than anyone in New York City or L.A., right? Mm. And some of them don't tell their husbands how they vote. They don't tell their kids. And I, I want them to be a part of the family. And in Michigan, that is part of the family. Right. And yeah. uh, I just think that that is a lesson that could be learned in other parts of the of the country. We want to be an open, welcoming party of reasonable people. Um, mm. And that usually works. What's the number one issue you're hearing about in the campaign trail? And uh, what will be your number one priority if you get to the Senate? Number one issue I'm hearing about generally is like people either have no hope of getting in the middle class or they've fallen out of the middle class and they want back in. And so it's literally kitchen table economics. How do I have a one job, a good job with benefits that helps me save every month? And then how do I bring down the insane costs of healthcare, prescription drugs, housing, childcare, and post-secondary education? Somewhere in that zone is 90% of what people raise with me. And then, then there's the, the, the issues of um, making more things in America. There's the issue of like protecting our kids from the things that are truly harming them, like gun violence and, you know, the diseases of despair, mental health issues and opioid addiction. Um, and then protecting our rights and our democracy. But first and foremost is like, how do we as a nation grapple with the fact that after World War II, we did such a good job of building this strong middle class and now people are falling out of it or have no hope of getting in. So that's what I want to work on. As a, Frankly, I'm a national security person. You know that. Yeah. But I think this is the national security issue of our era because if we don't get it right at home, what can we do abroad? Representative Alyssa Slotkin, thank you so much for uh, coming on Pod Save America and uh, good luck out on the trail. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me. You can start your day off right. When you find a professional on Angie to get your plumbing right first. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. 
NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25. Are you like me and tracking the polls obsessively this election year? Well, Dan Pfeiffer's right there with you, and he's taking them seriously, but not literally. Take an average of the polls. Don't forget about any one poll. And the thing that we try to tell everyone in every episode of this podcast is a poll that has Biden up to and a poll that has Biden down to, they all tell you the exact same thing, which is this is a very, very close race. The goal of this podcast is to help people understand polling and freak out about it just a little bit less. Explore the latest polls, what they actually mean, and whether or not it's time to hit the panic button. Tune into Polar Coaster with Dan Pfeiffer, Cricket's latest subscriber-exclusive show. To get access, subscribe to our Friends of the Pod community only at crooked.com slash friends. Okay, unfortunately, uh, we cannot end the show without talking about Lauren Boebert. We covered the story last week on our subscription show, Terminally Online, which you can sign up for at crooked.com slash friends. Um, but there have been quite a few developments since then. To recap... Bobert and her boyfriend attended a performance of Beetlejuice the Musical at the Buell Theater in Denver, Colorado, where we once did a live taping of this very podcast. Lovely theater. The couple was asked to leave the show after complaints that they were being rowdy, taking pictures, and vaping, despite being asked not to vape by a pregnant woman in front of them. Uh, Bobert's campaign initially denied the vaping and dismissed the criticism. Then, security camera footage of the incident showed the couple not only vaping, but groping each other. Because there's nothing hornier than a musical production of Beetlejuice. This led to a full apology from Bobert for, quote, falling short of my values. And the vaping lie she apologized for, which she attributed to either the, quote, excitement of seeing a much-anticipated production or the natural anxiety of being in a new environment. <laughs> she then expanded on these thoughts during an interview with One American News, as one does. What's the top story? Lauren Boebert getting kicked out of the Buell Theater in Denver, Colorado. It's what the media Beals. does. It's what the media does. So yes, what, it is. what, what, it is what went they down? Do. You know, um, I was a little too uh, eccentric. I, I am, I'm very known for having uh, a animated personality, uh, maybe overtly animated personality. I was laughing. I was singing, having a fantastic time. Yeah, she was. <laughs> fantastic time. Oh, boy. Guys, what's so bad about a little vaping, a little groping of Beetlejuice? Hmm? <laughs> uh, it's a musical, not a concert. I say it again. <laughs> you don't let la- you can have a great time at a musical. You sit still and quietly because there's human beings on the stage playing characters. There is a uh, uh, there's somebody I follow on TikTok because he does an incredible impression of Patti LuPone. That's why I follow him. He sings as Patti LuPone. I didn't know this, but he had actually been cast. It was his big break in the traveling production of Beetlejuice. Mm. And then he said, I remember that night, I didn't actually know someone got kicked out, but I remember that somebody was doing a lot of flash photography. He was disturbing the performer. She you was disturbing the performer. flash photography. That's insane. It's too far from the stage. It won't work. 
Yeah, right. This is also useless. <laughs> it's just going to get a bright shot of the people ahead of you. Does he say that the musical is as horny as, uh, <laughs> he says as we that think it is? Nothing makes the performers of Beetlejuice the musical, in and of itself, something that exists as a testament to the fact that we are a nation in decline. Uh, nothing makes them more <laughs> excited as performers than to know that people have full-on fucking boners. <laughs> During during their performance of the various songs that we all know and love and don't need to say what they are because we all, of course, love Beetlejuice the musical, a beautiful adaptation of an important piece of IP. Uh, but yeah, no, that, that's what he said. Is anyone else weirded out that the theater has like really good night vision cameras? Didn't know that when we uh, when we did our show there. That's for sure. Yeah, I, tell you, I don't think no, no one at the Buell Theater told us there'd be night vision cameras. There. Yeah. Now, uh, granted, we didn't do a lot of groping. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not as much as not nearly as much as I would have hoped. But the uh, and yeah. you know what? No one in the audience did either because they're at a public fucking event. Yeah. Well, they we did it. They that. did it with. We did it. They did it with uh, discretion. Right. But uh, yeah, I yeah. definitely. I definitely not enough. Just, yeah, with the in between the flash photography and the vaping, they're groping. <laughs> yeah, just we're gonna keep it quiet over here. Is our flash photography singing, yelling? <laughs> I will, say this. I will say this. That is a lesson. First of all, I think when Lauren Boebert says that she was uh, had the anxiety of a new place, what she really means is I didn't know there was tape. I didn't yeah. know it was on video. Yeah. But I think as a rule, if you are going to go to a musical production that welcomes children 10 and up, you can either do flash photography or over the shirt groping. You <laughs> right. You, I, I, I prefer neither, but you can't do both because it draws attention to the over-the-shirt groping. I Yeah, to me, the OTPHJ is not <laughs> as bad as saying, do you know who I am when confronted? Oh, I just want to say the acts themselves, like, I don't I don't give a shit. Oh, I'm just saying, the, but saying, do you know who I am to someone? Oh, that's the worst. Is, yeah, you're the worst person said, in the yeah. world. Yeah. Oh, no, I, but there was, I'll, there I'll was, be a prude. I do not believe you should be <laughs> uh, uh, publicly... Uh, Getting it on well, look, at it a is. theater during a musical where children are present. I think you should restrain yourselves. Someone, someone found the public indecency law in Colorado. Like she, she potentially violated it because it it does include uh, groping in public as part of the public. You're not supposed to do that. You're not you supposed just, to do well, that. Well, just it's, it's, at the very least, quite rude. <laughs> I just think that the the existence of the the night vision camera is weird. Makes me uncomfortable. Then there was like another discourse where people were like, why are we mocking this right now? And these people were surveilled against their will and blah, blah, blah. And they just leave them alone. I'm like, oh, yeah, you deserve you have every right to privacy to grope in a public setting. <laughs> like, I, no, you don't. <laughs> I can't I can't I can't follow those people there. Uh, I will say this. If you ever are in a position and it happens all the time, like someone, uh, you know, a. Uh, uh, a drunk state legislator will get pulled over, somebody will get a problem at the airport. If you ever say through, you know, if you're slurring your words and you're ever shouting, do you know who I am? You lost. You're yeah. the villain. Famously. It's bad. a villain it's question. famously ineffective. It, it, it does, it, no one, it's, it's, you know what it is? She did a couple more too. She, she then said, she's like, I'm I know on, the I'm, mayor. I'm on, I know the, I'm calling the mayor, which is, I don't know how that's going to help her. And then she also said, I'm on the board. The board of what? <laughs> I have a theater as a board. I, I do want to, and he's under the board. board of having a good time. <laughs> if she had just been like, hey, I'm sorry, you know, we acted inappropriately. I apologize to the theater and the other people I disrupted. You wonder if they would have released this footage. Maybe they would have just because it's kind of funny. But she's also just a giant hypocrite. She's the first person to attack gay people for grooming. And, and she's like a, a total hack who's tr pretending she's going to protect our kids. She sucks. And her boyfriend that was uh, the, the, the man in question uh, is a Democrat whose bar hosts drag shows. Yeah. I mean, he seems like he's up for a good time. Yeah, he seems <laughs> cool. uh, he's, this, as far as we can tell so far, he's just he's just along for the ride as well. <laughs> But the, uh, I will say, yeah, saying... Um, he's like, oh, we're at Beetlejuice? Yeah. <laughs> he's like, I, I love the I'm finale. Never... When does the musical start? 
<laughs> oh boy. But the, the uh, yelling, uh, do you know who I am, is as, about as effective as yelling relax at somebody. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? It just right. gets the opposite. It gets your haunches. It gets your haunches up. I watch it. She's also, she's not like, she acts a little like MTG adjacent, but she's not in a Republican plus 40 seat the way Marjorie Taylor she Green is. Lost. She won by like 500 votes last time. Adam Frisch, go to his, go to his campaign the, website. The, the yeah. best part though he, is- He's not going to be doing that that Beetlejuice. Not now. No. <laughs> uh, there's a- He's, he's, he's groping out a victory. <laughs> It's within his reach. Not going to be in that caucus with Dusty Johnson for long. <laughs> Speaking uh, of caucuses, Liz Crokin. He doesn't want a premature ejection. There's, 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 a, there's a bona fide lunatic on Twitter named Liz Crokin who has Pizzagate is real in her bio who said, uh, if I were a wagering enthusiast, I would bet that the date, uh, Bobert's date, was paid to set her up. So this is the new conspiracy theory that the deep state, the libs were coming for Bobert uh, by Tommy, getting her to go out with this guy. Her bio also says that she's a seasoned journalist for 20 plus years oh, in addition and to no Pizza Gator. And her, pronoun, her pronouns are I slash told slash you slash so. And there's no evidence that any liberals <laughs> came anywhere. She said, <laughs> she said these types of tactics and traps are used all the time and I would know. What, what would you know, man? What would you know? What a, what a, what a sting operation. Step one, build trust. <laughs> Step two, <laughs> mention that in passing that at the Buell Theater in a couple of weeks, Beetlejuice is coming. <laughs> Beetlejuice is coming. Hey, Lauren, I got ben, a crazy idea. Install a security yeah, camera. Make sure the camera's night working. Make- <laughs> it's going to be dark. Yeah. Is, this a, is this a Nathan for you? I just also, it's like, is that- Good no, question. Also, by, the way, by the way, maybe, like, he's like, a, maybe he's a Nathan for you plant. I just think it's also like, man, let's say, let's say everything is going according to the uh, deep state's plan perfectly. Lauren's still up for a little hanky-panky at the Buell Theater, you know? <laughs> no one, Deep State didn't do that. I, I watched the footage. I hated it. Again, it's Beetlejuice. <laughs> it, and, and it is, and again, Beetlejuice the musical. So hot. <laughs> it's, it's so hot. The, the, it's the hot. How, do you not, how do you not get horny? It's the sexiest, watching, the sexiest musical Beetlejuice production. Beetlejuice the musical. Should be NC-17. They must have been so drunk. She said, I didn't remember vaping. O- okay. Yeah, that's not all she didn't remember. It's unbelievable. Anyway, what a story. What a fun story. <laughs> I love Something it. for all of you to enjoy. Uh, thank you to Alyssa Slotkin <laughs> for uh, joining okay. And good luck in your race. <laughs> <laughs> Stay out of the theater. Much like Lincoln. Yeah. <laughs> stay out of the theater. Yeah. Oh, all right, everyone. We'll t- we'll see you Thursday. Bye. That's, that's funny. Uh. The second worst time a politician's had in a theater in living memory. <laughs> Other than that, Ms. Bobert, how was the play? <laughs> Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. Our producers are Olivia Martinez and David Toledo. Our associate producer is Farah Safari. Writing support from Hallie Kiefer. Reed Churlin is our executive producer. The show is mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Jordan Cantor is our sound engineer with audio support from Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis. Madeline Herringer is our head of news and programming. Matt DeGrote is our head of production. Andy Taft is our executive assistant. Thanks to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Haley Jones, Mia Kelman, David Tolls, Kirill Pelaviv, and Molly LaBelle. Subscribe to Pod Save America on YouTube to catch full episodes and extra video content. Find us at youtube.com slash at Pod Save America. Finally, you can join our Friends of the Pod subscription community for ad-free episodes, exclusive content, and a great discussion on Discord. Plus, it's a great way to get involved with Vote Save America. Sign up at crooked.com slash friends. You can live out your MasterChef dreams. 
when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Visit Angie.com. You can do this when you Angie that. Why are smart businesses graduating to NetSuite by Oracle? Because NetSuite eliminates the expense of multiple business systems by consolidating your operations together into one. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. NetSuite reduces IT costs because it lives in the cloud with no hardware required, so you can access it from anywhere. You cut the cost and headaches of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. Bringing all your major business processes into one platform improves efficiency, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, so do the math. You'll see how you'll profit with NetSuite, too. And now, by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Just go to netsuite.com slash podcast25 for more information. That's netsuite.com slash podcast25.